Welcome to the Discussion IT Modernization for Citizen Services, sponsored by Amazon Web Services. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mark Schwartz, an enterprise strategist at Amazon Web Services. Mark, great to see you again. It's been a while since uh, you had left government, but it's good to see you starting to pop back in. Welcome to the discussion. Great to see you too. Thanks for having me. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion today. Congress and the Biden administration put their money where their mouths are by allocating $150 million for the Federal Citizen Services Fund. The General Services Administration, which runs the fund, allocated money for 14 citizen-facing digital service projects just recently. These range from assisting families eligible for the child tax credit to streamlining identity verification to bridging the gap in Wi-Fi access. These projects are just some of the ways agencies have shifted their efforts over the last few years to focus more on citizen services. Well, the concept of being more citizen-centric may have started back, what do you say, Mark, about 2002, three clicks to service, the old e-government projects, you remember those days, I'm sure. This idea, this concept really has reached new heights between the pandemic, the acceptance of cloud, and, and the use of DevSecOps approach to development, and really the maturation of the user experience, user design principles. To continue to make improvements, agencies need the right technology and the appropriate training to ensure citizens continue to have a positive experience with government. In fact, a recent survey by Eagle Hill Consulting in July found agencies could take specific steps to improve customer experience, including tying employee metrics to customer experience metrics, showing employees how the work they do really impacts their customers, and involving the employees in their decisions to improve customer experience. And of course, as I mentioned, the technology that underlies all these efforts must be available, agile, and secure. So for how to bring all these concepts together, let's turn back to my guest, Mark Schwartz is the enterprise strategist at the Amazon Web Services. So Mark, let's just start there. Customer experience, we talk a lot about it. We know it's important. There's an executive order coming, but why? Why is it so important today than ever before beyond, I'm gonna say the pandemic, which we've talked ad nauseum about. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk a little bit more ad nauseum, I guess. Um, the <laughs> this, might, this might seem obvious, but uh, during the pandemic, of course, organizations had to interact with the public through digital services primarily. I'm thinking of, uh, I, I had to renew my driver's license, for example, during the pandemic. Uh, I live in Massachusetts now. And of course, the Motor Vehicle Bureau was all online. I had to do it that way. Uh, so a lot of organizations found that they suddenly had to do all their interactions digitally. Um, I think there's, there's another important thing to think about uh, in relation to the pandemic, which is that uh, it, it was a major disruption, and we're going to have major disruptions in the future. And they might not be pandemics, they could be just about anything. And what that, what that says to me is that organizations have to be agile enough, nimble enough, and fast enough to be able to respond to it, whatever it is, right? We don't, we don't know what's coming. Uh, so that requires a lot of flexibility. And if that's true for the private sector, so much more so for the government, because it's really, you know, when the, when, the, uh, when the disaster happens, whatever it is, it's the government that has to stimulate private enterprise, you know, has to support the public, has to support businesses and all of that. So the government has to be prepared to respond quickly and nimbly as well. One of the things we've seen with the pandemic is this idea that they were able to, that urgency really forced their hand, really take chances and do things that maybe they would not have done normally. Outside of the pandemic, right, once, once we've things have kind of come back to semi-normal, whatever the new normal is going to be, they still need to have that agility, that, that ability to, 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 to move. Is that, that realization is what you're seeing, whether in the public sector or the private sector? Oh, yeah. 
the pace of change seems to be pretty fast these days uh, for whatever reason, pandemics or something else. Um, changing consumer expectations, changing geopolitical situations, changing regulation. Um, as these things change fast, organizations have to be able to respond to those, change quickly, those changes quickly enough, um, quickly enough to seize opportunities, quickly enough to avoid pitfalls uh, and things like that. So it's a general trend across the whole economy, I think. That piece of change, and, and part of it's driven by the technology that underlies all these services. And I know you, know, you can talk probably a lot about AWS, but maybe give me an understanding of how the technology is foreseeing that pace of change. Well, with the cloud, for example, you meant um, you didn't uh, actually cloud, mention cloud well, we front end with DevSecOps. Well, we talked before you mentioned, yes, DevSecOps. And cloud and all, um, those, all those good things. Yeah, all those good things. Um, the, the cloud, for example, makes it possible to acquire infrastructure very quickly, but not just infrastructure. These days, more and more of what we're doing in the cloud is higher level services, as we call them, things like machine learning, uh, edge computing, advanced analytics, virtual reality, augmented reality, all of those things are available sort of as building blocks that can be acquired pretty much immediately by any organization. Um, I think there's also the fact that the public's expectations, of course, are rising because they interact with some of the very digital organizations like uh, my own, <laughs> Amazon.com, um, which aims to be the most customer-centric organization on the planet and has been working at it for a while and is raising the bar, I think, in general for everybody. I think the public expectations, we've been hearing that for quite a while. And again, I, well, you and I can go back to Mark Foreman in his days of e-government projects and, and you know, citizen-centric, three clicks to service. But, but do you think that something has changed that, that, that the reason why we're more focused on that citizen expectation now more than ever? Because, I mean, you know, it's been 20 years, right? We, we can go back that long to say, well, this has been, was, has been important for two decades. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you have something in mind. Um, what, what I'm thinking though is um, uh, it's related to success with initiatives really uh, and mission. If we can be faster and more nimble and use contemporary technologies and architectures, I think government organizations can do a much better job of conducting programs and projects successfully, uh, of making good use of taxpayer money and other public resources. I highlighted the, the GSA efforts about the 14 projects through the Federal Citizen Services Fund. There's a ton going on across government. Are there any that stand out to you? Anything, your driver's license example is a great one. Hopefully that was a good example, but are there some others that you'd point to that says, hey, this is working well, or, or this is down a path that I could see in, in you know six months, a year, whatever it is, they're, they're really gonna move from 80% happy to 99% happy, or whatever the numbers are. <laughs> well, I, I see things going on all over the government. But uh, sometimes I can see where the, the mechanics are working in a very positive way. So, so to give you a few examples, my old agency, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, um, you know, it had a, a down year for revenues, right? It had, had less demand for its services, and it was able to adjust its spending in the cloud correspondingly. One of the wonderful things about the cloud is that you can scale down or scale up freely as you need to. Um, on the other hand, back when, uh, whenever that uh, last real government shutdown was, uh, <laughs> which, um, you know, as, as usual, it sort of takes part of the uh, agency, part of USCIS, by, uh, um, into a sudden new world, I think. 
Um, E-Verify in particular, uh, which is vulnerable to those shutdowns, after being off for a month, it had a big backlog of, of transactions, and by being able to scale up in the cloud, was able to process all of those, that whole backlog of transactions really quickly. Um, so that, that shows you that, that the idea is working, the mechanics are working. Um, we've now seen the census uh, conducted online, doing online surveys. Um, I've been told that HUD has uh, an application they call Stella that helps them um, analyze data about homelessness, uh, which is another big part of, I think, what's going on, this, this ability that we now have to dive deeply into data and manipulate it with machine learning and things like that. Uh, so clearly it's all happening. I, um, I also work with other governments and um, some tremendous activity in Canada, for example, um, where the Canadian border agency created its Arrive Can application um, to track quarantine and, uh, and contacts. Um, there was um, a COVID alert that the government of Canada prepared and launched very quickly. Uh, the British Columbia government, for example, does vaccine management. Only. So, you know, all of, all of these uh, things that had to happen quickly and were able to happen quickly because of the new tools we have available. I love your examples uh, at, at both. I remember the E-Verify backlog, and I think they actually won a, an award from one of the you know, government organizations like ACT IAC or somebody for that E-Verify to be able to scale up and, and scale down. Is, is that the biggest challenge for agencies right now because they're still dealing with this legacy infrastructure, because they're still dealing with older systems that, doesn't, that if they're not in the cloud, if they don't have that flexibility, that serving the customer in a new way becomes that much more difficult? Yeah, and it's, it's not just government. Uh, I, I work a lot with private sector customers as well. Large enterprises in general are held back by their legacy technologies, their legacy systems. Uh, which just weren't really created to be able to be changed very quickly and very nimbly, right? Uh, we, we didn't build technology for that 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Uh, so in the course of modernizing now, uh, which a lot of organizations are doing, they're able to set up processes that keep them nimble. They're able to set up uh, architectures and use tools that can keep them nimble and, and set them up for speed in the future. And really, I mean, as you said, the pace of change is that's where we're going to. And, and I know we're going to hit up at a break in a second, so when we come back, we'll talk about how to kind of take advantage of that IT modernization. Is the other challenge that you're seeing maybe across the, whether public or private sector, the technology is a piece of it, but it's also the people themselves kind of changing the, the here we go, I know you're ready for it, the culture change of it? Yeah. <laughs> I have a little experience with culture yeah. change, yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Um, I found with large organizations, this is typical of large organizations, whether they're in the private sector or the public sector, is that they've set themselves up to be really good at doing whatever it is they did yesterday, right? Uh, that's, that's in the nature of it, especially successful ones, right? If they, if they be, become good at doing something, then they've set themselves up to do that really well. And now that they're trying to change, that gets in the way and they all have to find some way to change the culture to get people more used to working in the new way they want them to. All right, we're going to figure out how they do that in the next segment, but first let's take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion IT Modernization for Citizen Services, sponsored by Amazon Web Services on Federal News Network.
With over 7,500 government agencies using Amazon Web Services, AWS understands the requirements U.S. government agencies have to balance economy and agility with security, compliance, and reliability. With AWS, you get to decide on how to migrate and modernize your applications and at what pace, leveraging the industry's most reliable infrastructure with the deepest set of services. Visit aws.amazon.com to learn more. That's aws.amazon.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion IT Modernization for Citizen Services, sponsored by Amazon Web Services on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mark Schwartz, an enterprise strategist for the Amazon Web Services. Now, Mark, before break, we just started to talk a little bit about that culture change piece. And that's one of those things I think when people hear, they go, oh, no, not the culture change discussion. It's never the technology. It's always the culture. But I think in this case, when we talk about citizen services, you need to get people to think differently. You need to have them look at problems differently and be part of the solution. So, so maybe give me from your experience at the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services or other experiences, what have you seen? What, what, what gets people to change? What, how does it motivate them? Well, the, the big change, in my opinion, really, is that they have to get used to thinking in terms of small increments, right? Iterative change with small changes. And uh, that's very risk mitigating when you think about it, right? Instead of committing to a really big initiative with a big budget that's not going to deliver results for many years, you can deliver actual results really quickly and then incrementally add to those. Uh, the reason why this is a hard cultural shift is it implies that because your risk is lower and because you're moving quickly, you shouldn't do a really complex uh, heavyweight uh, oversight process to make decisions, right? You, you make provisional decisions and you change them downstream rather than, as we had to do in Homeland Security, write 87 documents and go through 11 gate reviews and have 22 people in different oversight roles, you know. Uh, it's, it's not necessary when you're committing small amounts of money and working incrementally with results all along the way. Um, so that's the big change. And how did we get people to do that? Well, a lot of it, I think, had to do with engaging middle management. Um, I, I sometimes hear companies sometimes talk about frozen middle, you know, frozen middle management that's not changing. And I almost always think that's a mistake of leadership not to get middle management to support the change and engage in it. Um, that's the leverage point, you might say. How did, what did you do, what steps did you take when you were at USCIS to get those GS14s and 13s and 12s on board beyond, hey, I'm the boss, you gotta follow me, and that, that only works maybe once in a while. Yeah, first I'd say, I'm the boss, you gotta do what I say, and then they would you know, leave the meeting, go out in the hallway and say, the CIO's completely crazy, we're not gonna do this. Uh, so that, that was fair. I mean, that doesn't was, really work. That yeah. was fair. You were doing well, some, back in 2012, you were doing some crazy stuff. <laughs> I, I had to learn a few lessons, I would say. Um, but the, the key, I think, is changing incentives of those people. And I don't mean financial incentives, right? In the government, we can't really do that. It's changing the role definition, changing their understanding of how they contribute to mission, um, things like that. So, for example, um, if the QA organization um, thinks of itself in terms of swooping in at the end of a project and saying, oh no, the quality is not good enough, that's not going to support these new ways of changing. If instead they think of their job as being part of the process throughout and making sure everything is produced at a high level of quality, that fits beautifully into the digital way of working. And it's just a matter of changing their understanding of what their role is. 
did you bring in the quality insurance folks, the QA folks, again, very similar to the users at the very beginning as you're planning the project, as you're beginning that first set of code release, hey, you're here, you're part of it, and that's the change that happens because all of a sudden they're not being brought in at the end, like the security people we say, bolt it on, build it in, but it's, it's the same concept. Bring those folks in who matter at the beginning and then they're, they feel part of that project and that changes the culture. Even more than that, we brought them in before the beginning. Um, we actually had QA involved in training um, because they wanted to make sure everybody was prepared to operate at a high level of quality. Since you mentioned security though, uh, that's an extremely important principle for security is having them involved from the very beginning, involved in engineering, involved in determining what the automated security tests should look like and what policies need to be enforced in the cloud and things like that. This leads us down the path of, of this idea of, okay, you, to change culture, you also need to show progress, you need to get those quick wins. And I think one of the things that you did at USCIS that was always fascinating was not just getting quick wins for your internal folks, but the contractor side. You had the contractors say, hey, if you guys don't work together to make us successful, one of you is gone, or both of you are gone, or you're not getting any more task orders. Talk about that idea of quick wins and why is that, that's the next piece to change the culture. Yeah, we, we realized that we were going to need to be, uh, to interact with the contractors a lot more, let's say, than the old model where we might spend three years competing a contract and then give a whole batch of stuff to the contractor and say, come back when you're done, right? That, that wasn't working really well for us, so we wanted a much more interactive process where we could have lots and lots of feedback and make changes as we went. So that was, that was the motivation for it. Um, and we did, in fact, set up contracting structures where contractors had an incentive to keep performing. We could readjust the contract as we went. The flip side of that, though, that a lot of people uh, didn't notice, I think, was we gave the contractors constant feedback so that they could improve their performance, and they loved that aspect of it. You know, they, each contractor, I think, is convinced that they are the best ones around. <laughs> And I understand that, you know, they're mission driven and they're passionate about what they do. And so if we could tell them, you know, here's the problem we're seeing with the way you're doing this, they would very often react really quickly to it and make sure they fixed it. And I think part of reacting very quickly is that you don't get into a situation where you're putting bad money after bad money after bad money, and all of a sudden you've spent $50 million and have nothing to show because the contractor said, well, I was following your requirements, so yeah. now you're, you're doing $5 million or $500,000 seeing, okay, this isn't right, fix it. Okay, now it's, you're kind of fixing as you go along and, and ensuring that you're meeting the user's needs. I think that's the other piece to, of the culture change we're talking about here is, oh, I get it now. They start to see the, the impact they're having. That's right. I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to break things down into those small pieces and to work incrementally showing results the entire way. We, we talked a little bit about the culture, the quick wins. There's still the piece of the technology, and a lot of agencies are, are moving to the cloud. It, it's, I think, a little slower than I expected, but I think what they saw with the pandemic and, and over the last 20 months or so is the, is the power of the cloud and the power of moving toward a DevSecOps approach. What's the biggest issue you're seeing these days about it? Is it still risk aversion? Is it can't, not enough money? They can't move fast enough? Or not enough workforce? What is it? Um, yes, risk, I know. Risk aver no, risk aversion is a really interesting thing to think about because a lot of organizations think they're risk averse 
But the truth is they could reduce their risk by working in the cloud and using DevSecOps and, and these other techniques, right? We're talking about, let's say, working in the cloud where you can change your infrastructure at any moment as opposed to committing to fixed upfront infrastructure costs where you can't change your infrastructure downstream and that imposes risk. Same thing with these big monolithic projects, very risky. Work in DevSecOps, work in the cloud, you're, you're getting results very quickly. So if you're truly risk averse, you really should be moving to these things. But I think we're dealing with something that's not quite risk aversion, it's more like fear. <laughs> it's, more, it's more really what it's about. Or status quo bias, you know, people tend to stick with what they've got. Um, what, what gets in the way, I think, is that discomfort with moving quickly in small increments. Uh, because the first time you do it, you feel a little unsteady, you know, like, shouldn't I have done more due diligence before I made a decision or something like that? Once you realize that you're getting positive results all along the way, then that, that discomfort starts to go away. But I've always found that to be the biggest impediment. The status quo bias, I, I love that terminology because what we saw, and I've heard this, for instance, from the Veterans Affairs Department, where they actually had kind of non-IT folks say to their IT folks, hey, this IT stuff's kind of important, huh? And it's like, we've been telling you for, I'm sure every agency had that experience. And, and I think that, that urgency really opened people's eyes to say, okay, we've got to make this IT thing better. Do you, do, are you seeing conversations change with the non-IT folks? I mean, you may spend time with some CIOs, but are, is the time you're spending with the non-CIO folks much more impactful, much, they, do they get it in, in, a, in a bigger way than ever before? Um, yeah, we, we do have that status quo bias. I think that's always the first reaction is like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna move to the cloud or we're gonna change to DevOps or something, you know, this big stuff that, um, you know, maybe, maybe um, there's more important stuff for you to be doing. But if I then ask them, are you, are you satisfied now with the, the speed of response you're getting from the IT organization? Are you, are you satisfied with your ability to make changes quickly? They'll almost always think about it and say, actually, no. You know, um, They just sort of put that out of their heads and, and uh, act like they're comfortable with the status quo. And you know, really, when it comes down to it, IT organizations can be responsive and can move really quickly if they have the right tools and the right architectures in place. And I think we're starting to see that with a lot of the effort agencies are doing around, for instance, um, Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions contract EIS that GSA is, it's really the network base. The push from OMB around some of the architectures like Zero Trust to say, hey, we need to put the identity and access management pieces, all these pieces in place to get you to be able to move faster. Is that the big message you probably would leave folks with here is, is think about the architecture, think about the tools, but also think about the approach you're taking more holistically than just the technology side. What's, what's the message you think most people should need to leave this conversation with? Yeah, I think the most important thing for me is to focus on mission. I mean, we all know that, It's so right? easy. I mean, it's, it's so obvious. It's easy when you're thinking about the cloud and DevOps and stuff like that to get all caught up in spreadsheets with the cost of each instance and that sort of thing. No, the question is how are you going to be able to accomplish your mission better by being able to move more quickly, by having the right tools at your disposal. And then you work backwards from that to build your business case and to determine how you actually execute once you start moving. And I think that's, that's a key piece that I think sometimes does get lost in this conversation is the mission first. If you put mission first, everything kind of should, should, should fall into place. Uh, Mark, I've really much enjoyed the conversation. It's great to catch up with you again, but unfortunately we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Mark Schwartz is an enterprise strategist at 
Amazon Web Services. Mark, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion IT Modernization for Citizen Services, sponsored by Amazon Web Services on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search AWS. Thank you for listening to the discussion IT Modernization for Citizen Services, sponsored by Amazon Web Services on Federal News Network.